0: Let's turn our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And we'll be thinking of this subject this morning casting down imaginations. And a salesman once was driving through a, a, an old country town, and he was there on a, on a country road one dark and rainy night. And wouldn't you know it, he got a flat tire. So he opened the, the boot and to his uh, uh, horror, there was no wrench there. And so as he started to look around, he saw a little light, just a little bit of a ways and, and there was a farmhouse there that was just up the road. And so he sets out and he starts to walk towards that, uh, that farmhouse through the driving rain. And so he began to think. Surely the farmer would have a lug wrench he could borrow, he thought. Of course, it was late at night, so the farmer would be asleep in his warm, dry bed. Well, oh, maybe he wouldn't answer the door. And even if he did, he'd be angry at being awakened in the middle of the night. And so the salesman, now picking up his, uh, his pace, he started to just blindly uh, stumble on in the dark. And now his shoes and his clothes were soaked and even if the farmer did answer his knock, he would probably shout something like, what's the big idea waking me up at this hour? This thought made the salesman really angry. And what right did that farmer have to refuse him the loan of a lug wrench anyway? After all, he was stranded in the middle of nowhere, soaked to the skin. That farmer was so selfish, no doubt about it. And the salesman reached the house and banged loudly on the door and a light, went on inside, and a window opened. Who, who is it? A voice called out, you know full well who it is. It's me, you can keep your stupid wrench, I don't need it anyway. And boy, our imagination can go pretty wild, can't it? And uh, I don't know if you're, you're, uh, you're like me, but I can, I can relate a little bit to that salesman. You know, sometimes our imagination can run pretty wild. Sometimes when we encounter something, especially when we're under pressure and, and somewhat we're feeling the strain of life, you know our imaginations can really, really get us into trouble. And I think you know, as well as I do that, that oftentimes, uh, the, in the Christian life, our battle is fought in the mind. And we, we, we must fight uh, even perceptions. And you know, even as I preached this morning, um, I, I must also battle my imagination. You know, I, I got a battle when when uh, when someone is uh, leaning over and talking to another person that I don't presume that they're talking about their disagreement about the message. I, I got a battle when someone yawns that they, they're not yawning because I am boring. All right, but our ima- imaginations can make us presume some things that are very very far off the mark. And this morning I want to just talk about that. See. Um, when we, when, we, uh, when we allow our imagination uh, to, to then dictate uh, our pattern of thinking and then therefore our response, it, it can become a very dangerous situation for you and I. You, you ever, uh, you know, you understand that that, that, that leads to perhaps uh, fear or worry or doubt. And, you know, um, oftentimes those things rob us of the peace that God has given us but also even opportunities that God may have uh, presented to us, uh, just right there and then. And I'll give you an example for us as Christians. You know, often we will we will uh, want uh, the Lord will lead us to to speak to someone or to be a, a bold uh, bold soul winner. And, and I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but have you ever uh, gone to to knock on a door, and then suddenly this guy that is massive, who's got tattoos from the top of his head right down, probably if you could see them, to the bottom of his feet. Have you ever thought about it and your imagination has gone wild and go, boy, this guy, won't. he doesn't want the gospel. Oh, I'm, I'm sure he's going sure to slam the door on me. Oh, and I, I'm sure he's going to start to curse at me and swear. I'm, I'm sure he's going to punch me in the face. I better duck. <laughs> but in the reality, you don't know that. And sometimes when we go to the vantage point there and and when you fear that the worst will happen, your own imaginations will often bring that about. Someone once said this, fear is the wrong use of imagination. It is anticipating the worst, not what can actually happen. And imaginations can, can lead you and I to make some catastrophic decisions. Uh even in in regard to our own fellowship with one another and we'll sp- speak about this a little bit but sometimes even in our in our responses one to another we can become this presumptuous we say things and, and rather than 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 hearing what the other person is saying our imaginations have already filled in the blanks and have already f- predicted the future and, and what what's happening is that you're being hindered by your own imagination and and we know that that as as people, uh, we have these minds that need to be renewed in, this, in in Christ. That that we must control our minds. That we must we must allow it uh, to to be uh, to be taken captive uh, by the to the obedience of Christ, which we'll read about here in Second Corinthians chapter ten. But imaginations can lead you to make some catastrophic decisions. I think about uh, this verse in in Leviticus chapter twenty six, verse thirty six. And upon them that are left alive of you, I will send a faintness into their hearts in the lands of their enemies. And so this is the Lord saying to them, you know, if, you're, uh, if you're, you're away from me and you don't obey me, I'm going to send this. And notice this, this faintness in their hearts led to this. And the sound of a shaken leaf shall chase them, and they shall flee as fleeing from a sword, and they shall fall when not none pursueth. And you know what he was speaking about there? In your minds, you're going to be, Uh, so subdued in your minds, you're going to be so defeated. And so often the case, uh, the opposite is actually true. You know, we have much power in Christ, but our imaginations have taken us captive. It's like, you know, you ever gone into your, your house, maybe you're alone, your family's away, and you hear a noise, and then you hear that noise, and all of a sudden all of these things happen in your mind. Who is it? Someone's broken in. I don't have a weapon. <laughs> and all of those things, your imagination can lead you to that. And, and yet, in, in, in broader areas of life, when we go down that pattern of thinking, it could lead to catastrophic and, and, and unhealthy ways of thinking. And, I, and I'm saying this not because, not because I'm immune to it, but because this is a very real problem that each and every one of us have, and myself included. There's been many times where, where there's been a situation in my life, and you know what's happened, the reality of it was there, but my Im- imagination filled in the blanks. My imagination caused me to think a certain way. Why? Because we have carnal minds, and 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 we still have in, in our day uh, this flesh to contend with. And and when we when we have a mind that's enveloped by fear, by doubt, often what proceeds are evil imaginations that cause us to think acutely negative about the situation. And I think all of us here have allowed, at some point, fear to grip our minds at times. And and this is usually the case when we're going through perhaps a difficult circumstance or even an unknown future, which all of us fall in, under that category. Uh, we tend to have a bleak view of things when we allow our thought life to run riot through fear, and and Paul was not uh, was not immune to this, and and Paul certainly in his writings to those uh, Christians in that day referred to it. Paul, who is as human and as frail as we are, knew this tendency, and he also had to deal with those imaginations, uh, what what that had portrayed him in a certain way, and this is the subject matter of our text here. Look at Second Corinthians chapter ten, and we'll turn to some scripture this morning. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Look at verse 1. It says, Now I, Paul, myself, beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am base among you. Now, if you know a little bit about Paul, uh, in his writings, in comparison to his writings, his bodily presence, it seemed like it didn't match. He, he was quite weakly, and he, he, was, he was not an intimidating factor in his presence and he says that, who in presence and am base among you, but being absent and bold toward you. And and bear in mind who he's writing to here, it's the Corinthian church, whom he rebuked soundly in first Corinthians. He did say to them some very weighty and hard things for them to hear. And so now he's writing now in follow up to that. And, and he says this in verse two, but I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present uh, with that confidence. Wherewith I think to be bold against some, but notice this, which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. And what, what they were, what they were, uh, how they were responding to Paul was this, they were fearful of how he was going to be when he does actually visit them. He's trying to tell them, look, I'm base. I, I had to be bold towards you. I don't want to be bold in that confidence towards you when I come. And, and what he was writing to them was, was, Uh, in in relation to what he had already spoken to about in 1 Corinthians, but this time to forgive that brother and to take him back into fellowship. And so he's saying, look, look, don't imagine, don't think of us as as some who have gone after the flesh. He's saying, "Uh, we're not coming there for our own intent. We're not coming there to make a show of ourselves. We're not coming there to to just soundly rebuke you uh, for no reason. Don't think that. And then he launches into this, In verse 3, yet, uh, sorry, in verse 3, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And then notice what he says in verse 5, casting down imaginations. So he's trying to address the people there who are already thinking through fear a certain way about Paul a certain way about how they were going to be dealt with. And now He's trying to assure them and give them a way to not think that way. To cast down their imaginations. He says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ and having in readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. And he's saying there there, there to the church, look, there's some of you that think that we've walked a certain way, that think I'm going to respond to you in a certain way. But I want to tell you, church, cast down your imaginations. Don't let your imaginations overtake what is actually about to take place, what my actual intent is. And so often... Uh, so often uh, in our lives, we, we don't allow the, the, the truth or the reality of the situation to be the actuality. We allow our imaginations to fill in the blanks. And here, Paul, in his second epistle, uh, epistle, he's writing to reinforce the need for the church to now move on. The people were fearful of Paul and some had even developed these bad thoughts toward them. And so what he's doing is he sets out to correct this mindset and in doing so gives instructions about how we ought to deal with our imaginations. Because it is true, the battle is so often fought, won, and lost in the mind. Before we even get started, so often we must adjust our mind and and do what the, the Scriptures told us, cast down. Those imaginations. He simply says, Cast it down. It's not real. Diminish it in your mind and recognize that we've got mighty spiritual weapons that God has given us to bring your imagination captive. And I want to just give you that thought this morning cap, uh, uh, casting down your imaginations. All right, let's pray. We'll ask the Lord to bless the rest of the way. I pray, Father, that you'd help us this morning. And Father, we just give you glory knowing that, dear God, you've given us the, uh, the, the prescription, the mindset that we need to have. And Father, so often the struggle, we know it, is in the mind. So help us, dear God. Lord, as we think about this this morning, Lord, to, to perhaps, perhaps Lord, allow your spirit, Lord, to take inventory of our own minds and hearts. Lord, to help us realize the, the, the tendency that we have. And then, Lord, uh, to, to get this thing that, that is prescribed for us in Your Word. I pray, Father, that You'd help us. And Lord, we know that we already have victory in You. And, and so really, Lord, it's about, it's about looking to You. And I pray that You'd help us this morning as we open Your Word. Lord, may You be glorified and pleased. In Jesus' most precious, holy, wonderful name. Amen. And so we're going to see, firstly, the problems of fear-based imaginations. And here, in Paul's situation, we see that another's imagination was really fed by a presumption based on communication. See, he had previously communicated a certain way. And, and because of that, they, they've presumed that somehow in his presence as he goes to them, he is going to be the, the same way when, when the situation has actually moved on and changed. And, and so, often, um, so often our imagination is fed by our own presumption based on communication and and we see here that the first effect is we allow our imagination to be fear-based in a misreading of a person's motives. You know, all of us here, we can present a certain way, including myself. We can have a facade of joy when all reality, maybe internally, we're struggling, we're we're going through some difficulty. And it's like that as well when we communicate with one another. And and here the people were thinking something about Paul, based on what he had previously written to them, and he's saying, "Be careful with how you're allowing your thoughts to misinterpret my intention." And, and you know, I think this is so pertinent for us uh, in our modern day. You know what we do less and less of is this communicate face to face. And so often what we do now is even beyond just a phone call. What do we do? We send a text or we send an email. And how many times have have I and have you probably misread an email? And in, in this sense, you've put in a tone that wasn't really there. <laughs> you've read something and you're like, oh, they're mad at me. Oh, they use capital letters, that means they're yelling at me. <laughs> and, and sometimes we do that. And, and, you know, we might shake our head thinking that, that that doesn't happen to us. No, no, really. Let the Spirit of God just 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 dwell there a little bit, we often do that. And we often, our day sometimes turns on one text message <laughs> or maybe the lack thereof. And we look at that and we sort of go, whoa, we're reading into something that, that may not even really be there. And you know what? Uh, what's allowed that is this. We've allowed our imagination to just run riot about that. And, and I want to say that unless we hear a person's exact motive, we can't judge their intention. Unless we're actually we're actually up front and the Bible uses the word upright with one another. The Bible tells us that, that we ought to go to that neighbor himself when we have an issue and when we, when we want to know what they're thinking. We ought not to read or presume. And here, that's exactly what happened there. And, and I want to just give you a couple of other illustrations of, of, of the effect of fear-based imagination in the Scripture. That's one of them. And here Paul's trying to help the the Corinthian church. Don't misread what I'm saying. Don't misinterpret what I'm trying to get to you. Don't just think and presume that I'm a certain way. Listen, um, he's saying cast those imaginations down. And and how much healthier would our relationships be if we were just upright with one another? If we would just speak and and do, as the Bible tells us, be face-to-face in our communication. And, you know, the Bible tells us to cast down those imaginations because your imaginations can get you in trouble. We see another situation uh, back in Genesis chapter 12, and we'll also turn to Genesis chapter 26. So turn your Bibles there, Genesis chapter 12, and we're going to see a familiar character here in Abraham. Now, we often, we often give Abraham the credit that he was a father of faith. We see that God, uh, God sought him out. And God called him to to leave his his home country to go to another place. And God certainly did bless uh, Abraham. But, you know, Abraham wasn't perfect. And Abraham had a mind like we do. And Abraham had imaginations like we do. And look at Genesis chapter 12. And notice verses 11 to 13. And and here in verse 10, it gives us a context. There was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt there and to, to sojourn there. And verse 11, it says, It came to pass when he was come near to enter into Egypt that he said unto Sarai his wife, Look, behold, now I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. Now, he he was saying to Sarai his wife, You're a beautiful woman. All right, we're about to go into Egypt. And he says, Therefore, notice this, it shall come to pass. When the Egyptians shall see thee, that they shall say, this is his wife. And notice how wild his imagination has run. They will kill me, but they will save thee alive. So, so because of his imagination there, that, that somehow because he has a beautiful wife, that the result of that is he's going to die, he starts to concoct a plan. And he says this in verse 13. Say, I pray thee that thou art my sister. Uh, you know, I read that. And I go, how does that help you? All right, that it may be well with me for Thy sake, and my soul shall live because of Thee. Now, now we see in Scripture the 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 circumstance uh, that was given there, recorded for us, and, and really, fill in the blanks is this: the imagination ran wild. Abraham was thinking something that may necess- may not necessarily had been what the Egyptians were thinking, but he thought it anyway. And his, his imagination caused him to make this plan. And what it was, was this. It wasn't a very good plan. It was there to deceive. He was going to go under guise. And, and see, we see this again. Um, in, in his son's life, look at Genesis 26. Look at Genesis 26. And notice verses six and um, six and seven. And notice here, Isaac was dwelling in a in a place called Gerar, and and look look at this. The men of the place asked him of his wife, and she said, and he said, she is my sister. Why? For he feared to say, she is my wife, lest said he. The men of the place should kill me for Rebecca because she was fair to look upon. And, and you know that God supernaturally just saves them, gives a, gives Abimelech a bit of a a, a heads up. No, no, no. Um, he gets a view of what what was under, happening between the two, and he says it can't be the can't be the sister. But you know the 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 reasoning. The reasoning that that Abraham and Isaac had was this: their imagination. Their imagination, their their fear-based, they feared that something was going to happen and they allowed their imagination to just run riot and cause them to think a certain way. And and here's what I'm saying. Really, it wasn't them that they put in harm's way. It was those around them. It was these men and the, the women that they were meant to lead. See, our imaginations can at times cause us to put others in harm's way. When we start to make decisions based on our imaginations, and listen, it puts others in harm's way. And really, really, the point was this. They, they were thinking of themselves. They were thinking, I need to preserve my own life. And in doing so, they put their wife's life in harm's way. And, and it, it, our evil imaginations and our fear-based imaginations can cause us at times to put others in harm's way. And, and you know, worst-case scenario, thinking at times can cause the worst scenario. And, and so we see that, that imaginations. He's saying, the Bible tells us, cast it down. Cast it down. And, and then notice another situation uh, in Joseph's brothers. In Genesis chapter 37, go, go to Genesis chapter 37. And I'm trying to just give you examples to show you there is a problem. There's a problem when we allow uh, imaginations to, to run wild, to run riot. And here in, in Genesis chapter 37, and you know that, that, that Joseph was, was uh, chosen of God to, to, uh, to, be a, to be a leader, and he, God gives him dreams to indicate that, and he shares that with his brothers. He shares that with his family. And notice here in verse, um, verse 9, and he dreamed yet another dream and told his brethren, and behold, I have dreamed a dream more, and behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. So they bowed, and he told it to his father and to his brethren and to his father, and his father rebuked him. Now, we know that he was the favorite, right? But even his father we just got sick of it, like, stop telling us. Rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee to the earth? And his brethren envied him, and his father observed the saying. And notice here that Joseph's brothers envied. And, and, and no doubt as they, they were sitting there listening to this, the, their minds were just going through like, well, how's this going to happen? Well, how's this going to be? Well, if, if what he's saying is, is, is certainly true, well, he's one of our younger brethren. Well, that's not our custom. And you know what it was? Rather than just considering like Joseph... The, uh, the, like Jacob did just sitting there and he considered it, they let their imaginations run wild about Joseph to the point where they envied him. They envied him. They they made some presumptions about him. And Joseph's brothers allowed their misconception uh, that this, that, that Joseph was somehow being prideful and also jealous of the favor he had. It led them to doing an unthinkable act, wasn't it? Because what did Joseph's brothers do later on? They sold him to slavery and then pretended that he had died and even fooled their dad. Now, you, you, think, about the, you think about just the depravity of, of that thinking. It led to this. It, 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 it was led to that by fear-based imagination. They were fearful of their own, perhaps, inheritance. They're fearful of what that meant to them. And so they had a misconception about Joseph that somehow he was going to do this. And later on, yet we know that that Joseph was going to be the deliverer, wasn't he? That that God had a plan in it. That certainly it was God in it. And yet it was a misconception of that. We see another example. We, We see Elijah. Look at 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. And what we know about Elijah, Elijah was a mighty prophet. Elijah was greatly used of God. In fact, Elijah had just gotten victory. Fire had just come down from heaven. And here, Elijah, in 1 Kings chapter 19, and notice uh, notice verse 10, he had run away, he's gone to the cave, and God's seeking him. What doest thou here, Elijah, in verse 9? And in verse 10, he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown thine thine altars and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left and they seek my life to take it away. Now, what precipitated that? Uh, Jezebel had put a bounty on his head, had had basically uh, threatened to kill him. And so now, shaken from that, fearful, no doubt, Elijah runs away. And now in his own imagination, he's the only one left. It was a woe is me. There, there's no one else here. There's no, it's a, it's a, uh, there's no one else that's faithful to you. I'm the only one left. And he later on, he, he, he continues this diatribe with, with God. And again in verse 13, what doest thou here, Elijah? And he says the same thing. I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. He says, And I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said unto him, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when thou comest, anoint Haziel to be king over Assyria. And Jehu the son of Nimshi shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha the son of Shaphat of Abel Melholah shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. It shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Haziel shall Jehu slay. And then notice verse eighteen. Yet I have left me seven thousand. Hey, seven thousand doesn't equal one, does it? The reality was this: seven thousand were still faithful, who had not bowed. And yet, in in Elijah's imagination, there was one him. And, and here's here's the the thing about uh, about fear-based imagination, really his, his imagination after that threat, after all of that, it filled in the blanks for him. It, it filled in the rest. It, it made him think that the situation was was a lot more bleak than it really was. And you know what, what it caused? It caused him to vacate his office. He missed out. And listen, you know, so many of us here, um, and myself included, I remember when God started to open up His will for my life. And, you know, my imaginations ran wild. How am I going to provide? Well, I'm sure I'm going to go through great trials. Well, I'm sure. And then before I knew it, I was like, Lord, I don't want to do what you want me to do. And you know what it was? It was fill in the blanks by my, my imagination. That, 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 that wasn't always, the, that wasn't going to be the case. And yet sometimes we allow our imaginations to cause us to miss out on the will of God. It's our imagination that the worst can happen. It's our imagination sometimes that, that causes us to miss out on what God has clearly called us to do. And, you know, it, it even happens for those who, who are lost, who, who have no Savior as yet. You know, oftentimes they're, they're in their imagination, they're heading into church, or they're going to speak to uh, to a, a Christian, and already in their imagination, they're thinking, Well, Christians are like this. Well, that church is going to be like this. Well, that, and they're not allowing reality to dictate what was happening. And that's what happened with Elijah. Elijah allowed his imagination, not reality, to dictate his decision making. And it caused him, it caused him to miss out. His imagination calls him to vacate his office. We see another uh, illustration of this. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 18. 1 Samuel chapter 18. And here we see another character in Scripture that, that God could have used greatly. In fact, what a privileged position he had. He, he was the very first king of a great nation. He, he was King Saul. You understand, when, when, when the nation came to Samuel and they asked for another king, and, and surprisingly for Samuel, God said, no, let him be. Give him what they, they've been asking for. And out of all of the people of Israel, who did God choose? God chose Saul. That's, that's, that says something about this young man. And yet another, uh, other situations happen. He, he disobeyed God. He disobeyed God in, in a clear thing that, that God had given him to, uh, to, uh, to do. And here we see another character comes along. His name's David. And David becomes a, a champion for God. David is used of God. He should have been someone that Saul gravitated to, that Saul looked to, uh, to be a comrade in the battle And yet we see what happens in their relationship. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 18, and notice verses 6 and 9. And so David goes out to war. He comes back. He has wrought a great victory by God. In verse 6, And it came to pass, as they came, when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistines, that the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing, to meet who? King Saul. They were meeting the whole group. They weren't just there for David. David was part of the group with tabrets, with joy, and with instruments of music. And the women answered one another as they played. And notice who they said first. And said, Saul had slain his thousands. And David, his ten thousands. This wasn't a slight on Saul. This was a celebration of the victory in general. They, they were just ascribing just uh, some of the, the praise and some of the, the, the great uh, celebration of that to these guys, Saul and David. And notice, though, Saul's response. And Saul was very wroth. And the saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed unto David ten thousands and they have a scribe but thousands? And what? Can he have more but the kingdom? He's saying, David's out from my kingdom. Now he's got them on their side. I thought this guy was meant to be someone I could count on. He's, he, he's meant to be a warrior for me, and, and now he's against me? Listen, was that the case? No. And, and his imagination caused... Uh, caused this, it robbed him of a good relationship that he should have had with another. And listen, sometimes our imagination causes that. The reality is not the case. Uh, the reality should have been this. David was a mighty warrior. And I need to, I need to just come alongside him. And we understand that, that later on, uh, from that day forward, Saul eyes David. Uh, he tries to, to, to take his life several times, and yet we know David had several occasions where he could have taken the life of Saul, and yet he didn't, and then much more than that later on when Saul did die in battle, David even looked after, in his, because of his covenant with his son uh, Saul's son, Jonathan, he still looked after Saul's, uh, Saul's extended family, Mephibosheth. He looked after him. So was David ever against Saul? Never. And yet sometimes we, we allow our imaginations in our, in our dealings with one another to start to think about each other in certain ways that aren't healthy and aren't good. And then it causes us to lose something or someone that God could have greatly used by our side. You know, you could do that in a marriage. You could do that in a marriage. You could look at your 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 spouse, and maybe there's there's an issue. Maybe there's something that that she or he said that 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 really upset you. And yet your imagination could f- help you forget your vows, help you forget that it's together that God's gonna use uh, that, uh, that that God's gonna use in your life to bless you. And yet suddenly your mind is thinking, well. She doesn't love me anymore. Well, he just, he just thinks I'm this way and yet there's no communication. The reality is not the case. Maybe you should talk. Maybe you should be upright one to another. Maybe you should just talk about the situation rather than letting your imagination dictate your thinking. Dictate the way you relate to one another. Uh, we could do that with, uh, with, with co-laborers in Christ. You know, it, it's... it's, it's it's actually the, most of the case where, where when, when, uh, when different leaders within the context of even a local church don't get along that there should have just been some talking involved rather than presumption about motives. And, and you know, I, I say that because I, I am in danger of that so often because, you know why? I still have a carnal mind sometimes. I still have imaginations that are fear-based. You know, we could do that, you you young people, you could do that toward your your parents when you have an expectation of of somewhat getting what you want and you don't get it. Suddenly your imagination runs wild. Oh, mom and dad don't care about me. Oh, mom and dad, they don't understand me. Oh, mom and dad have never been where I've been. Listen, uh, child, they have been. And the fact is for, for the those days prior to that day where they said no to you, they have cared and they have showed their love, so what will it be different tomorrow? But you know what's caused that? Your fear-based imagination. It's your imagination. You're, you're, we have a carnal mind that needs, to be, that needs to be addressed, that needs to be cast down. And, and Saul's evil imaginations, it, it, it caused him to, to ruin what should have been a fruitful relationship? What, what should have been something that was a blessing? You know, that could, that could happen in those areas that, that God would have you be blessed because of that relationship. And by the way, no man is an island, okay? You know, as a church, we need each other. That's why God calls for unity in the church. But you know what leads to that unity? Lowliness in mind. And that's why it's so important. And so there are problems. There are problem caused uh, because of our, of our fear-based imagination. But then notice here the casting down of it. And if we go back to Second Corinthians, I believe there's some things that God tells us uh, here about, about casting down uh, of fear-based imaginations. He says firstly in verse 3, because the, the thinking was this, which think of us, as if we walked according to the flesh. You thought about us this way, that we just dealt with it from the scene, the flesh. But then he says this, he he says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. And there's some things that that visibly seem to be, but he says, you know, we, we as Christians, we don't fight on that plane. We fight on a higher plane. We're not after, we, we walk in the flesh, as in we're walking in this earthly plane, the things that we see, but we don't war after the flesh. And here's the first thing as we think about casting down imaginations firstly, recognize what is unseen above what, that which is seen. You know, as Christians, we are called to view life with a higher plane. As Christians, it's not just, we actually shouldn't walk by. Uh, We shouldn't walk by sight. We should walk by faith. And so often we make our judgments based on just what we see, on just things that we think we see. Uh, We're called to view life in a a higher plane. And, and, And the reality is this, based on sight, we don't know all the facts. But based on faith, we can be assured. And we need to recognize that when our imaginations are overtaking us, that we aren't to walk by sight, but by faith. And for, for the Christian, what seems easily imagined isn't always necessarily the case. You see, in 2 Corinthians 5.7, the Bible tells us, for we walk by faith, not by sight. It says in 2 Corinthians 4.18, while we will look not at the things which are seen, But the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And he's saying your mindset ought not to be the things that are seen. We have a higher plane to attain to and to think with. We don't war after the flesh. We're faith people. He's trying to help them. There's more to it than what you think. It also means that that we ought to feed then our minds with those those things that are not after the flesh and I think that you and I, you and I both know that, that so often when we feed our minds with those things that cause us to fear then we're more likely to produce fear right for, for those of you who who are, are just just love you know being scared you love your your films that you know maybe maybe are, are a bit uh, scary, you know that the next time you're in the dark, all of those things, images, start to flutter around in your mind. You know, it's those things that you feed yourself, uh, your mind about, those things are the things that inform you about how to respond to the things of life. And so because of that, we need to, to feed our mind with th- those things that are faith-based, that the things of the faith. Yeah, I think you know where I'm going with this. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. And notice verse 17, he says this, I say therefore, and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as, after Gentile, as, as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their minds. So he's saying there, don't, don't walk like other Gentiles walk. And when he says other Gentiles He means those who aren't saved, those who have never put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, those who don't have the new birth, those who have never followed after Christ in the regard to salvation. And he's saying, don't walk as other Gentiles in the vanity of their mind. He says, having understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Of course they don't see. They don't have the light. He says, Who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But then he says this, But ye have not so learned of Christ. He says, If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation. He says, Put that off. That's your old life. He says, uh, he says Put it off which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. And verse 23, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So put away that, that mind of vanity. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And then he says, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness, wherefore putting away lying, speak every man truth, truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. And he's saying there, put it away. He's saying, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And he's saying there, feed the, walk after and feed the, the, the spirit, that inner man. Be renewed. That's why we ought to, we ought to look through. And, and when, we, when we go through a situation that we may not have complete understanding about, we don't just have the facts of what we see. What we have is the truth of the Word of God to guide us. That's why it's not about just the things that we see. It's the things that are unseen, the things that are of the faith. And we can judge and we can look at a situation and go through the filter of the Word of God to help our minds think where we need to think. See, in fact, the Bible tells us what we ought to think about, what we ought to feed our minds about. In Philippians 4, 8, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, Whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, what does he say? Think on these things. And if we're going to cast down our, our fear-based imagination, if we're going to cast down our imaginations, then we need to recognize what is unseen above that which is seen. We need to look at the the, the things of the Word of God. We need to allow our minds to be shaped by and be directed by the things of the Word of God. We need to get to that higher plane. But also in verse 4, go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. He says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. You know, there's many strongholds in our minds. There's certain strongholds there. There's certain ways, and, and maybe through experience, through, uh, through past hurts that have built up in our minds, and yet the Bible tells us we have, we have weapons that are mighty. And you know, sometimes we, we take that aside and, and we quote that, but it's in the context here of casting down imaginations. And so we need to respond secondly here, if we're going to cast down imaginations, with what God's given, not what's carnal. And remember, it's warfare. It's not the thing seen but unseen. And we understand here, we we can talk about this verse, and we can talk about how it's referring to prayer. And certainly, prayer and the Word is given us. They are weapons. And really, they're, they're there to help us defeat and navigate against fear. It's a sound mind. The Bible tells us, For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. That's the weapon God's given us. It's not carnal. It's not our intellect. It's our obedience to the Word of God. It's it's our humbling to the things that God has given us. And certainly God has given us prayer and His Word. See, the Bible tells us in Philippians 4.6, Be careful for nothing. You know what that means? He says... Don't be full of care. Don't fear. Don't worry. You know, often we we allow worry and fear to dictate our imaginations. He says, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Here's a novel idea. When we're through a situation and our our imagination runs right, here's a novel idea. Why don't we pray about it? You know why? Because sometimes we don't look at prayer as a defense. We look at just prayer as requesting, requesting, requesting. When so often prayer, if we would just stop, pause to pray, prayer will correct our thinking. Prayer will align. And I'm, I'm guilty of this, church. So often when I'm in a, in a pressure situation, you know what? I just want to fix it. <laughs> you know why? Because sometimes I'm carnal. Because there's times where I just want to, the weapons of my warfare are carnal. Not mighty through God. But, but, but listen, God's given us weapons for our warfare. God has given us weapons that will help us with our mind. And, and God has given us those things. And one of those things is prayer. Be careful for nothing. The second thing is this, is the Word of God. He says, Great peace have they that love thy law and nothing shall offend them. And we need to come to the Word of God. He says in Hebrews 4.12, For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and the marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Listen, if you're you're wondering how to approach a situation where there's intense there that you're not you're not understanding. Use the word of God. It's the deci- hey listen your standard is not the be all and end all of how you judge. It's actually the word of God that should be your standard. And when we look at how people act, when we look at how people action their lives, it shouldn't just be a, a based on what we would do. Now, what would the Word of God advise us to do? And that's how we ought to deal with that. And we need to respond with what God's given, not what's kind or not our own imagination. See, just remember that God has equipped you so that you don't have to give in to your fears. You don't have to give in to your imaginations. You don't have to allow your imaginations to run wild. He's given you weapons that are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds, prayer and the Word. And we need to seek after that. We need to fill our minds with that. But then then thirdly, look at at verse 5. He says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. And here we need to relent. We need to give it up, cast it down. Relent what's imagined to a higher authority. See, God is saying here that we can't give our minds over to our imagination. He says, cast it down but rather through the, those previously mentioned weapons given to, us, uh, given to us there. But he says this also, casting down every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. You know, when those imaginations start to happen, he says, cast it down, relent it, and give it over to a higher authority. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 26.3, thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Why? Because he trusteth in thee. You know, when, when our imaginations start to run wild and we, we despair and we, 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 we put our minds on a track that's destructive, really what we're, we're doing the opposite of is this. We're, the opposite is this. We're, we're, we should be trusting God. But really we're not trusting God. We've allowed our imagination... To be the thing that is most exalted in our lives. When the the thing that should be most exalted is obedience to Christ. And he's saying, relent that. He's saying, cast it down. He's saying, give it over to God. And that's why prayer is such a great exercise in that. Because what you're doing is your cares, those imaginations, those, this could happen, Lord. You're really giving it over to God. In First John three twenty one, the Bible tells us: For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our hearts, and knoweth all things. You know, we don't know the the outcome of a situation. We don't know how a person can respond. Our imaginations they're 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 limited. They're they're broken. They they spout from a carnal mind sometimes. And we better just just give that over. If our heart condemns us, God is greater than our hearts and knoweth all things. Behold, if our heart condemneth not, then have we confidence toward God. And so relent what's imagined to a higher authority. Uh, have you ever, uh, you ever gone through and there's a, there's a fearful thing in your imagination? You're starting to just be, be a bit tense, be, be, be uh, overcome by it. That's the perfect time to just get, get down on your knees and just get with God. Focus on Him. Just, just cast it down. Cast it down to Him. But then lastly, in verse, uh, verse 6, it completes the thought. And having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Here's the last thing. Reassert what's to come knowing the end. And here's what I'm saying. You know why we don't need to fear? Because ultimately God is the avenger of all things. Because even, even, even if your worst imaginations come true, God is still in control. God is still in control. That, that even those things that we, we, we have imagined, even if they do come true, God is still control and he, work, he makes all things work together for good. In the end, God makes all things right. Even if our worst imaginations come true, we know that God is in control. In First Thessalonians 4, 6, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter. Why? Because that the Lord is the avenger of all such. As we also have forewarned you and testified. He's saying you don't have to put it in your own strength and in your own power. Look, just obey. He says when your obedience is fulfilled, having in readiness to revenge disobedience. He's saying those things that you're worrying about, if I'm in the wrong, God will correct me. If, I've, if those things that, that you've, you've imagined about me, if I do walk after the flesh as you're thinking I do, then God will revenge that. He, he will correct that. But listen, when your obedience is fulfilled, you just obey, cast your imaginations down. Make sure that, that the ultimate thing in your life And your ultimate thinking and your ultimate surrender is to to exalt obedience to Christ. That, That those imaginations don't get in the way of this. You see, we might not know how. We may even feel uncomfortable about it all. But in the end, God will make it all right. In the end, He's the avenger of those. In the end, those wrongs that we feel in our lives... God will correct that, and God will make it right. In those those things that we so fear, we can't allow that to be the thing that that dictates the way we live for Him. You know why? Because that, that, that evidence is actually in our lives a lack of trust in God. And here, can I just encourage you, God is very worthy to be trusted. You know, those things that we imagine to come to be, They may or may not come to be. But God is a constant. God will be there regardless. And can I encourage you? Can I encourage you? Cast down those imaginations that exalts itself above every high thing and be captive to the obedience of Christ. That's what we need to allow our minds to be captivated by. So next time you're in a place of fear, don't allow your imaginations get the best of you. Cast those thoughts. Let it be captive to the obedience of Christ. You see, the, the Lord Jesus over and over again said this, fear not. He says, I am the first and the last. And may we be in the practice of casting down imaginations. May, may we maybe allow our, our, the truth to, to gird about our minds, the, the loins of truth. May we be in the practice of casting down imaginations. There's no point in allowing imaginations to make us worry or fret. Corey ten Boom said this. Worrying is carrying tomorrow's load with today's strength. Carrying two days at once. It is moving into tomorrow ahead of time. Worrying doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. And so, don't worry so much. And so, can I just say, cast your imagination down. Don't let imagination rob you of the peace that God has already given you. Let's pray.